Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely... Absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Thank you for spending your Good Friday afternoon with me. Hope you're looking forward to having a wonderful Easter weekend. The uh, weather seems very, very nice. The forecast for the next couple days, we certainly deserve it. Let us get started. Let me see. How can I say this? In my opinion, this next story demonstrates how far through the looking glass we have gone. When you want to talk about political correctness run amok, this story says it all. It shows the overreaction to things that you have from, I don't know, this sort of chattering class who is so very, very afraid that, oh, somebody might be offended about something. Okay, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. Do you know who Kate Smith is? No. You do not know who Kate Smith is. All right. Are you familiar with the song, God Bless America? Of course. All right. All right. Kate Smith, for those of you who do not know, and I understand, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give my producer a little bit of a break here because Kate Smith was a huge star in the days before television, in, in radio. Kate Smith was, I, I don't know, I mean, think think Barbara Streisand, all right? She was that type of, of star um, in the early days of radio. She died in 1986 at the age of 79 years old. Her most, probably her most famous song was the Erling, Irving Berlin song, God Bless America. She recorded that, and that has been... It's kind of the standard. I know other people have done God Bless America, but but Kate Smith version is the standard. Now, by the way, did I mention she died in 1986? Since 2001, September 11th, 2001, Kate Smith's rendition of God Bless America has been played in the seventh inning of every home game that the New York Yankees play. Uh, George Steinbrenner, who used to be the owner of the Yankees, he, he ordered this. So uh, they, they, they play this up until this year. Now, I think um, at ballparks all across the country, they do it on Sundays. You know, in the middle of the seventh inning, they sing God Bless America. But it, it's been a staple at the Yankees games since 2001, since September 11, 2001, and they play the Kate Smith version. They stopped this year playing the Kate Smith version. Now, why, you might ask, did they stop this? Did people decide that they didn't like it? Did they get tired of it? No, 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 none of those. Here is the story. Uh, Back in 1931, when Kate Smith was one of the big stars, Kate Smith apparently recorded a song. All right, the song which uh, was designed to satirize white supremacists. Now, this is 1931, 
with something called That's Why Darkies Were Born. All right, darkies, of course, is a derogatory term towards African-Americans. Interestingly enough, this song was also recorded by Paul Robeson, who was the son of a runaway slave who was a prominent performer himself who would go on to be a civil rights activist. By the way, the song is a satire on white supremacists, but it has the following verse. Someone had to pick the cotton, someone had to plant the corn, someone had to had to slave and be able to sing. That's why darkies were born. Someone had to laugh at trouble, though he was tired and worn, had to be contented with any old thing. That's why darkies were born. Now, this is actually a satire of white supremacists, and Kate Smith sang this in 1931. In 1933, she performed a song um, in a movie. The movie was called Hello, Everybody. And the song that she sang was called Pickaninny Heaven. Um, and again, it was a song dedicated to um, small, and this is the way it was described in the song, a lot of, quote, little colored children living in an orphanage. Okay, so she does this song in this movie. And then in 1939... There was this this ad for baking powder that Kate Smith had endorsed. She's not in this ad, but she's an endorser for the product. I'm not in the My Pillow ads, but I, I'm an endorser for My Pillow. Okay, all right, I, I, you know I'm not in their TV ads or anything, but I'm endorser. So she's not in this ad, and the ad featured a mammy doll, which was a bandana-clad figure meant to evoke stereotypical notions of black women in the kitchen. All right, she wasn't in this ad. She wasn't, you know, being the stereotype. She just happened to endorse this baking powder. So so that's those are the backgrounds. That's what she did. She sang the song in 1931. She appeared in a movie and sang another song in 1933, and she endorsed baking powder that apparently used this kind of Aunt Jemima-type character in, 19, in a 1939 ad that she did not appear in. All right, that is her sin. For that, the New York Yankees have now announced they are they've they've gotten rid of her. Her version of the song of God Bless America will no longer be played in Yankee Stadium because they are concerned that people might be offended by Kate Smith, who did I mention? passed away in 1986. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to be honest. These stories make my head absolutely explode. This is the type of political correctness run amok that I think, I don't want to overstate it, but I I think it's one of the things that is just tearing this society apart. The idea that somebody might be offended because, I don't know, 90 years ago, this performer sang a song, which, by the way, satires white supremacists. But, gee, she sang this in 1931, so we can't play her recording, which is, I mean, generally recognized as probably the best there is. 414-799-1620. All right. Are the Yankees being overly sensitive or, hey, you know, we got to be woke here in in 2019 and allowing Kate Smith, given the fact that she appeared in this movie and she endorsed this product that ran this kind of ad. How in the world, Jeff, can we possibly continue to play God Bless America at Yankee Stadium? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on.
Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We are back. This is what the Yankees say. They say, we have been made aware of a recording that Kate Smith did. This is the recording from 1931 that had previously been unknown to us, and we decided to immediately and carefully review this new information. The Yankees take social, racial, and cultural insensitivities very seriously, and while no final conclusions have been made, we are erring on the side of sensitivity, which means we're no longer playing Kate Smith's version of God Bless America. To which I say, God help us. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Debbie in Milwaukee. Debbie, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Debbie. I was just um, telling your um, screener mm-hmm. that I, by coincidence today, I received an email, and it was an article that was titled, The uh, Obituary for Common Sense. <laughs> well, I'm sure that if anybody looks it up on the Internet, it'll pop up. But it was so appropriate because this is exactly what's happening nowadays. People are just going to just extremes in trying to please everybody in the whole world. And people are so oversensitive. Obviously, I don't agree that, you know, that some of this stuff was appropriate nowadays. Um, but back then, it was a totally different uh, culture and well, well, right. It, right you, it, okay, it's nineteen. So she sings a song in nineteen thirty-one that exactly. nobody, nobody even quite understands. Like I say, there, there, there was a very famous black civil rights guy who went on to be, you know, one of the leaders in the civil rights movement, uh, uh, an African American man who sang the song too. And and it's it's really a satire on white supremacists. So I, I don't think anybody really understands what the song is about, much less being able to try to decide what Kate Smith's intent was in 1931, much less saying, oh, well, she obviously had to be a racist because she sang the song, so now we can't play her version of God Bless America. We've gone through the looking glass, Debbie. We have. Right, and I'm old enough to know who Kate Smith is. <laughs> sure. And I never knew any of that about her, and I certainly wouldn't have gone and looked it up to see, you know, if she was a racist <laughs> back <laughs> right. in the day. Right. <laughs> It's just ridiculous. Well, it is. No, thanks for calling. And, and then, I mean, th- this shows how bizarre it is. Then I'm looking and thinking, okay, they, they say, well, in 1939, she she was she endorsed a baking powder. All right, like it was at yeast or whatever that is. And I was thinking, okay, d- did she appear in the ad like dressed as like an Aunt Jemima type of character or something? No, it's just she was an endorser of the product, and they ran this ad. So that means because she was an endorser of the product, that means, and they ran an ad that you could argue was was racist. But I mean, again, you're judging it by 1939 standards. But you're in here in 2019. But but all right, she wasn't even in the ad. She was just somebody that said, "Hey, I I I buy this type of baking powder." I mean, seriously, that's what it's going to take to get your um, materials banned. Okay, we we we're aware of cultural of cultural sensitivities. I'm going to tell you, if somebody is really offended by Kate Smith's version of "God Bless America," it seems to me it's their problem, not everybody else's. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Susan and Madison. And Susan, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi there. Hi, Susan. Um, what I was telling Ms. Greener was that I really think that this is a symptom of a bigger problem within corporate America. I work in HR for a very large organization, and I've even noticed that with the advent of social media and asking our employees for more speed, 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 that we have a tendency to focus on execution and action. And oftentimes I feel like we need to take a step back and take a look at it and say, really, what are we trying to get at here? Mm -hmm. What is the common sense? 
and look at the ridiculous factor of some of these things that we're doing. And it shocked me that the Yankees organization, that somebody within the Yankees organization didn't raise their hand and say, people, this is ridiculous. We're, you know, we're, we're um, saying that the song and Kate Smith's rendition of it is not right by virtue of association to something that happened years ago. It's, I mean, it just shocked me that they didn't raise right. their hand. Yeah, and, yeah and 80 years ago, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, 85 years ago. She's been dead since 1987. And, and, and again, it's not even like... This isn't even like, well, you know, Kate Smith was a slave owner or Kate Smith was, you know, a member of whatever the female version of the Ku Klux Klan was or something. No, this is, okay, she sang this song in 1931 that became a hit for her. Well, some people might somewhere interpret this as a song with racist lyrics. So because she sang this song in 1931 or because she endorsed a product in 1939 that ran an ad, we we can't listen to her stuff in 2019. You're you're right, Susan. But, you know, there, there probably is. They're at this meeting, and somebody raises their hand and says, well, you know, there's this background. Somebody found this out on the Internet, and heaven forbid that somebody somewhere could be offended by this. So, hey, we got to get rid of the song. Yeah. I do think that this is a problem that happens elsewhere, though. And shame on more of the people in the leadership positions within the Yankees organization to shoot this down and say, right. you know what, we might offend what one person right. out of how many million that comes through our gates. I'm sorry, but that's just right. that's a dumb reason. Right. Well, yeah, it is I mean, dumb. Right. Right. Exactly. Wouldn't you love to hear somebody say that, Susan? That to, to when when you get the complaining email. Well, you know there was this song. Wouldn't you just love to have somebody respond to it instead of Oh my gosh, we're sorry you're offended here. We're not going to play this anymore. Wouldn't you love to see somebody just write back and say. I'm sorry, this is just dumb. You know, if, if yeah. you want to talk to me about, you know, real <laughs> racism and all the issues that are there, we're delighted to do it. But this is just flat out, it's it's dumb. <laughs> thanks. My head is exploding with you. No, thank, thanks. thanks for the call. It, it's just dumb. I was going to say. I was going to say if it were any dumber, it would bark, but I would, that would be an insult to my dog, Sasha, who is really, really smart. Sasha would know. Sasha would know that this is a stupid manufactured type of issue. Let's talk to Mark in Heartland. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, Mark. I have to really agree with that lady from HR just before me. She has a perspective and goes along with what I was thinking. You're wondering when they made this decision, was there more than one adult in the room? And did they have any historical perspective at all to realize they're judging an 80-year-old perfectly acceptable uh, campaign, um, advertising campaign of Kate Smith, paid for by advertisers, where it was totally acceptable back then, and now we're applying so-called, and I think they're phony standards, 80-some years later on this Yeah, right, and and again, the the, the thing that's so weird about the advertisement, it's not even like she appeared in it. When I first started to read this, I thought, okay, well, well, maybe she was was showing up in blackface, you know, trying to pretend to be an Aunt Jemima type of character. No, it's not that. It's just she endorses this product, and then they did this ad. She had nothing to do with the ad, but that means, okay, Hey, we, we can't listen to Kate Smith because she had to be racist. Boy, I tell you, as, as somebody who does do endorsements, that's kind of a scary sort of thing. A quick, a quick question, Jeff, it, and it, it didn't come out yet. Are the New York Yankees going to replace this um, God Bless America, which is standard in most stadiums, seventh inning stretch? 
Are they then going to replace it with a more modern version done by somebody else, or are they just totally outlawing this? What they're doing is, from my understanding, right now, it, it, it's just a musical rendition. Like it's an, it's a, it's a, um, they're, they're, it's not sung at all. It's just the, the music of that. Well, let's hope then they put up on the Megatron screens all around Yankee Stadium at least the words with it. Right. Now, thanks for calling. But again, it's just I, this is one of these stories that you just kind of look at. And again, I I understand there's real racism in this world. I, I get it, and I think that real. Racism needs to be condemned when you see it. But it's this idea that we're going to try to, especially with 2019 sensibilities, because in this particular case, like I say, the song that started all this, it, it's at least the way it's being reported. This is a satire. They're making fun of the white supremacists. That's what the purpose of this song is. But we're saying, oh, well, just look at what these lyrics are. You you have no sense at all. Even if you want to say, oh, she sang this song and it's got racist lyrics in 1931, so that means that we just have to kind of scrub her out of modern society and we can't listen to her rendition of this early Irving Berlin song, which is, again, the standard. But But you don't even know... You don't even know what the intent was behind the song when it when it first aired in 1931. I'm sorry. This politically correct stuff drives me crazy. And this idea that somebody might be offended by something somewhere. So Lord forbid that, that we offend anybody. Well, you know, sometimes when you are dealing with the politically correct and the perpetually offended, some there are people that just roll out of bed with that chip on their shoulder, you know, looking for, you know, someone to knock it off. And the bottom line is you, you just cannot please everybody. But every once in a while when you get this one squeaky wheel or the two squeaky wheels, wouldn't you just like to say, like we were talking about with the caller Susan, that this is this objection is just dumb. I'm sorry, it's dumb and you know we're not going to waste any more time on it. And if that means that you're not going to listen to the Yankees game or you're going to start some online petition, go with God. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I've been actually waiting. I've been waiting all day to discuss some of the several of these stories that we're going to talk about today with you. All right. Here's the deal. Second grade class. And, and let me say this. I think the teacher is getting a bad rap, but but I suspect you, some of you or you might disagree with me. So here's the deal. She is a second grade teacher at a public elementary school kind of by Scranton, Pennsylvania. And what she does is she has, they're, they're, so they're studying math, and she has this form that has 50 basic um, addition and subtraction questions it's it's problems and and they're really simple they're like okay four minus four is seven minus two is seven minus one is twelve minus zero is five minus four so it this we are not talking about complicated complicated um high-end math we're talking about basic simple addition and subtraction 50 problems and um of these things and the idea is you're supposed to be able to do all 50 in three minutes i mean because again it's 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 just simple type of math so she gives this test to all the kids in the second grade and one of the kids well um does not do very well apparently in three minutes and you're supposed to be able to do all 50 questions in three minutes he is only able to answer 13 of the 50 
So, you know, doesn't isn't even able to do a third of them. And of the ones he's able to answer, he gets several of them wrong. All right. So he he's not done well at all. The teacher in red ink on this paper on the kids test as she grades it writes the following absolutely pathetic he answered 13 in three minutes sad and then she puts an unhappy face you get the smiley faces this is the frowny face so absolutely pathetic he answered 13 in three minutes sad and it's a smiley face uh, unhappy face frowny face the the kid takes this home to his father and his father becomes extremely upset not upset that the kid failed the math test in this way not upset that the kid doesn't know his numbers but the dad is livid with the teacher how dare the teacher be rude to my son how dare she say absolutely pathetic how dare she say sad and so the dad has now, I mean, he takes this and he decides to publicize this. So he goes to Facebook and he puts it up there. The teacher's name has now been outed. And this campaign on social media has been started to have her fired. Um, uh, the teacher's name is Alyssa Rupp Bowenek, Valley View School District. Um, as of earlier this morning, the petition to have her fired has garnered nearly 8,000 signatures. All right. There is also, by the way, a counter-protest going from all sorts of people saying, no, of course she should not be fired. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. The kid fails the test in a spectacular way. Teacher writes, absolutely pathetic. He answered 13 in three minutes. Sad frowny face 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line was the teacher out of line should the child um should the child have been i don't know applauded hey you know you you only answered 13 but you you got eight of those 13 right so all right should should the child have been applauded What's the teacher supposed to do? Is it too strong a word to say pathetic? Is it too strong to say sad? Should she have, I don't know, given him an A? Um, should she have put, you know, uh, a failing grade? What Did she cross the line by saying absolutely pathetic? And I, I think by her classroom standards, that this probably was absolutely pathetic. But the kid was in second grade. The dad is outraged that his son was, I mean, treated in this fashion. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should Dad perhaps have been more upset that the kid performed in such a pathetic fashion on the math test? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. Um, for some people who have been texting and questions, first of all, the teacher... She's been teaching at this elementary school for about five or six years. Um, she's got a master's degree in education. And the child who 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 got who could only do 13 problems out of 50 in three minutes and ended up getting a bunch wrong, it, it there's no, at least according to any of the stories, nobody's suggesting there's like a learning disability or something like that. So, uh, But the teacher says, hey, this is sad, uh, absolutely pathetic. He only got to 13 questions out of 50, and he got a bunch of those wrong. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Ann in Mequon. Hi, Ann. 
Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Well, I, without obviously knowing the background of this student, I think some. I don't think the teacher should be fired, but I do think that somebody should work with her because it doesn't do you any good to, you know, be super negative with students. I guess I would have probably just said, please see me and talk to the student and say, how can we get this better and work with the student one-on-one and reach out to the parents and ask them to support the student at home so that improves. If, if and, I, and I say if, because I, I, I don't know all the history as well, my guess is this is probably not the first time at the rodeo for this. If, if you've tried stuff like that before and it's not going anywhere, could this just be a sign of like the teacher's frustration with, with this? The school year's coming on and the kid still isn't doing any of this stuff? Uh, she could be as frustrated as she wants, but it's unprofessional. Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, taught for many years and I just don't find negativity written down like that. It's not going to get you anywhere. Is you know, there you ever? Got, you got to keep trying. Is there ever a, a point? Now we're dealing with second graders. Where she writes this, um, is there ever a point where it might be appropriate? For example, let, let's say it's she's it's a sophomore in high school, and you've got in your. I guess reading between the lines, my guess, my my sense is kind of she feels the kid's just not trying, you know, just not not even giving an effort. Would there ever be a sense? Would this ever be appropriate if maybe if you were dealing with like a high school sophomore? You might have a conversation with them and be a little more blunt. They can handle it. A second grader is seven, eight years old. Okay, um, it's a whole different ball game when you start dealing with middle schoolers and high mm-hmm. schoolers. Okay, so you would you would maybe reprimand her. You wouldn't fire her over this. You just say this isn't this is not a good teaching. <laughs> this is this is not a good teaching mechanism. Right. I'd have a conversation and try to work with that teacher. I don't think that's a fireable, you know, situation. Got it. Okay. Thanks for the perspective. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And I guess I'm I. I I, I always say you could never pay me enough to be uh, a teacher. My guess is that this is kind of the culmination of a lot of stuff um, where the, the sense is kind of I've been trying. I could be wrong. My guess is it's kind of like I've been trying to work with this kid all year long, and he's just not putting in any effort at all, and I'm frustrated, and I'm trying to get through to him. Now, maybe I'm giving the teacher too much credit in that. That's kind of my guess as to what happened. Carolyn, uh, Carolyn in Oak Creek. Carolyn, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, I been te- I was teaching for almost 40 years. I'm retired now, but I worked with second graders and never would I have put that kind of a comment on their paper. Um, was something going on with the child that day? Were they sick? Did they have to go to the bathroom? Whatever. Um, there's mm-hmm. alternatives to putting that on the paper. What if, and, and again, just work with me on my scenario. I don't, we don't know exactly what happened, but what if, what if it was a kid who just had been a problem for you all year round? And I'm sure you had him. <laughs> you know, the, the, the kid that's just that's not motivated and kind of like doping off in class and just not trying. Would you, if you're trying to get a point across, might you be more direct with that kid? Well, if it's been going on that long, I would hope the parents would be involved. I worked at a school where the parents were wonderfully involved every day. Um, Mm -hmm. I would hope that the parents would know that, and maybe the the test could have been adjusted. You know, let's see if you can do 10 this week. Let's see if you can do 20 the next week. Mm -hmm. 
keep trying to improve it. Let let the child compete with himself. Right. Uh, so you just think that this is kind of this negative motivation that's it's not gonna it's not gonna get its point across. Never worked for me. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. No. Well. No. They, they, so I guess. I mean. I and I. I guess. I. I. I understand. Um, I guess it, it could kind of go two ways. I mean, one would be, all right, the, the child is just crushed and, you know, just completely shuts down. On the other hand, if it's a kid that is capable of doing the work and, you know, maybe I mean, sometimes maybe people need need a kick in the butt and the, the kid doesn't like being told that his work is absolutely pathetic. So I, I don't think we any of us would disagree that, you know, that this was that's a fair description of it. It's absolutely pathetic. You know, is it possible that this could be a a motivator that the teacher's like, hey, you know, you're just you're just not getting this stuff done. And again, as far as I know, there's no learning disabilities issue or something like that. I, the sense I'm getting is it's just a, a kid who wasn't working. 414-799-1620. Suzanne in Milwaukee. Suzanne, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Suzanne. What do you think? Um, again, I, I have two daughters who are teachers, and I have a son who is, has a learning disability. Mm-hmm. Um, he's now 20, but he was not diagnosed until he was in eighth grade with a learning disability. Mm-hmm. He had his whole life. So his whole life he struggled like this child could be struggling. And, it, it, you know, I, I think it's completely inappropriate and, and possibly a fireable offense that she treat a second grader like this. What okay, so let it let's let's take the learning disability issue out for a minute. What if it's just it's a kid who doesn't care, um, who's just who's who's treating this all a, as a game. How is she supposed to respond to that? Well, first of all, it's second grade. Yeah. I mean, I don't think a child is is necessarily playing a game in in second mm. grade. Perhaps he he didn't take it you know as seriously as he might he should have, but. Um, it's not. So what, I mean, I guess what, what, what do you do? Do you, do you obviously, obviously the the child has failed the test. So you you can't, I mean, you can't give him an A, you can't give him gold stars for that. What what do you do? No, again, and like the caller before, a couple of Mm -hmm. callers ago had said, you, you take the parents, you talk to the parents, you talk to the child, you absolutely do not put pathetic on a second grader's test. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it was a high school life. student, could you use the word pathetic? I'm just. I, what would you think? I think. I think it's you have more leeway then. Okay. Absolutely. Um, but not not a second grader. I mean. Okay. No, I get it. Okay. No, thanks for calling. No, that and that's it, it is it is a second grader. I mean, I. Look, there, there, there's a lot. There's obviously a lot of failures that are going on here, and. I think, you know, on, on, I guess part of the thing, I understand why the dad is upset that, that his child, you know, comes home with this, you know, th- these negative comments. At the same time, I do think that maybe the dad should be f- concerned with why the kid failed so badly in the, this project. Why Why was it? Why was he only able to do this? Is, is he not working on it at home? Is he doping off in class, you know, not paying attention? Is is this a hidden example of a learning ability? Is, is he incapable of, 
of figuring out that, and I'm looking at the test now, five minus three, he, he couldn't get to that, or, you know, seven minus one. I mean, is, if, if, is he incapable of doing that? And is it an indicator of a larger thing? I guess I look at this and I, I don't think this, is a fireable offense. I understand that maybe you want a counselor and say, this is not counsel her and say to her, look, this is, it, it's got the risk of backfiring in a big way. But I do think that the larger issue is the kid wasn't doing this work and, and you can't give him a gold star. You can't give him an A. You got to try to get his attention somewhere, don't you? Let's talk to Dave in Menominee Falls. Hi, Dave. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. Uh, what do you do here? Well, you know, I, I see it as failure. Uh, let's put them in the priorities of um, the teacher. Um, teacher had a enormous failure because she wasn't dealing with the problem. She refused to deal with the problem. She thought frowny faces, uh, you know, obviously words that the parent could understand, but the child probably could not. That's not going to do any good at all. Right. Um, failure on the part of the parent in being reactive. The situation of the child failing the test, obviously a symptom that needs to be addressed or should be addressed. Right. right. Why is it? Is he not capable of doing the work? Does he not care about the work? Is, is there, you know, is there a learning disability? All these different right. things. Sure. Yeah. But let's, let's not write off the teacher. Let's not write off the child. Let's not even write off the parent. Let's say everybody needs to get together. The parent hopefully would have the most motivation everywhere. Parent can reach out to the teacher. The the, uh, district can reach out to the teacher, etc. You know, my feeling is don't write off anybody. Teachers are an enormous asset. Maybe, you know, somebody said what was going on with the kid that day. What was going on with the teacher that day? Maybe she was having a bad day, too. You know, my feeling, and you've mentioned a few times, what if it was high school? Jeff, I was a very average to poor math student until my sophomore year geometry. Teacher sat me down and said, you're not getting this. Why not? And she spent a little bit extra time. She said, geometry, it's all spatial. Light bulb went on for me. Mm-hmm. She did it. She was a fantastic teacher. She was also a coach. Knew some of my aptitudes. Right, right. I became a good math student. Scored ninety eighth percentile when I took my SAT. Oh, you're just showing off now. No, no, it was, <laughs> no. It, that was more an accident. Right. I would have never expected it because yeah. I did not become a great math student grade wise. I, you know, I went from C C minuses to B B minuses with her help and assistant, but I challenged myself more to do math. Right. Um, right. Now I'm not afraid of numbers. Yeah, no, so it motivated you. I, I get it. No, thanks for calling. I guess I, I, have, a, I have a text here that, that that does make an interesting point because one of the things I have been saying is, all right, if she didn't, obviously I think she has every right to reprimand, challenge the student in some way, shape, or form, especially if she happens to believe that the student can do better. Now, one of the, the texters here makes a point, said instead of saying absolutely pathetic, um, very, very sad, what if she would have said, 
I'm very disappointed in this. I know you can do better. And the texter says, that's what my teachers growing up would have said. Says the, fo- and the texter says, the father is focused on the wrong idea, but the teacher should be better at addressing the student's needs as well. Yeah, I, I go back to my basic premise. Do I think you fire her? No. Do you say, look, it's a second grader. You don't need to be as in your face as this was. But I don't think the teacher should also hesitate from, again, expressing maybe this is the way to do it. I'm disappointed. I know you can do better because you don't want the kid to think that you can skate through life. I don't know, answering 13 out of 50 questions and getting eight of those wrong when all of his other peers are able to do the test and perform the basic math. It's 1256. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, when we come back, all right, the initial fallout from the change of the Milwaukee Police Department uh, chase policies, controversy involving school lunches. We're going to talk a little bit about Mueller. We're going to talk about a school district changing its name. All sorts of stuff coming up on the Good Friday edition of the program. Please stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Melissa, you will be glad to know that I have almost made it. You for, have. I'm so proud of you. For eating, not eating cookies right, for, and sweets? For, and... I, this, I, for, for people who might not have been following this, um, I, for Lent, I gave up all all sweets, and, and it's interesting because and it's actually Melissa inspired me. Melissa and the, the pastor at my church inspired me to be a better person because I was originally going to give up something for Lent, and I was going to be I was going to give up candy. That's what I thought. But the truth is, I, I don't eat that much candy. I mean, I'm not saying that I won't have candy, but I, I don't eat that much candy. And I was the the day before Lent started. I was listening to you know, the sermon about you know Lent is supposed to be this period of sacrifice. Of course, you know we're entering into you know the the most holy time for for people of Christian faith. And I was saying I was going to give up sweets. And and Melissa, to your credit, you we were discussing this on the air, and you said, well, just just you mean just candy? I mean not this other stuff? And I got to thinking about it, and I decided you're right, Melissa. I should. I should make like a little sacrifice. So I have, I have gone the entire Lenten season with no no sweets, no no donuts, no cakes, no cookies. They we were at dinner with some friends the other night. You know they bring out the little kind of candies after like the after dinner mints. None of that stuff. No pie. No nothing. That's I, good. No no after dinner mints. That's not even no after dinner. People mints. probably wouldn't even think that's really candy no candy, no cookies, no cake. You. you know, and of course that's tough around here because my God, it seems like we got cupcakes every two. <laughs> every there's day. cupcakes and there's donuts and well, there's homemade and, cookies and, and the stuff. donuts we get here. I don't know where they come from, but they are just you know. There's like a candy bar on top of the donut. <laughs> They're but, just you know, it's crazy. I, but you inspired me to try to be a better person, and actually, I I have. I've done it, so I mean, you succeeded. I, I, well, right. I mean, I guess I still got a day or two to fall off the wagon, but I don't, I don't think so. You know, the interesting thing though that I found is, I really don't miss it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, other than as, as I've, I've kind of kidded around, I've been jonesing for, of all things, Chips Ahoy cookies, and I don't eat Chips Ahoy cookies on a regular basis. So my, my lovely wife had gone out; she bought a thing of Chips Ahoy. So Easter morning, I'm going to have a couple Chips Ahoy cookies with some coffee in the morning. But you know. I don't, it's interesting because I don't miss it that much. And obviously the sugar and stuff isn't great for you. So I, 
I might just continue to swear off sweets. Well, see how you feel after the couple of cookies that you have on Sunday and <laughs> go from there. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that could be. But um, I just wanted to publicly thank you because you have inspired oh, well, me to be a healthier and better person. And now, on the other hand, you know, my producer grew. He's like, well, what do you mean you're giving up stuff and things <laughs> right. like that? But no, no, yeah. I've, 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 and I've you've, made you've it been feel- very successful. I can attest for here at work, at least, you I, know, I, no, and it's, I've it's, not seen you eat any of that. No, no, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing at all. And it's, it's interesting. And some people would say to me, well, you know, our, our minister, our priest or whatever says that there's supposed to be 40 days in Lent, but there's actually longer when you add Sundays so you can eat sweets on Sunday. No, no, no. I said, no, I'm, if, if I'm giving this stuff up, I'm, I'm giving it up. Now, yeah. the question is, will, for next year, will I, like, add something like beer or bourbon onto that? Now, that would really oh, be that tough. Would, so, <laughs> that but, would be tough, but, but, yeah. but I have made Good it. Good job, and yes. So, right, and you encourage me to do that, and I appreciate it. All right. I, I, I know that there are some people who listen to every minute of the show. You start at noon, you listen to 3 o'clock, and which I say thank you very much. And I understand that there are people who come in and out of the show, but that being the fact, that's why we have the podcast. You can go back and listen to the entire version of the show. Get the podcast at uh, WTMJ.com. Uh, we started off the program with a segment on, on Kate Smith, and I, I have an update. I almost never do this in a show, but during the break, somebody called my attention to a, a follow-up on the Kate Smith story. If you weren't listening, I just think this is an example of how how political correctness is completely run amok. Kate Smith, if you do not know it, was a she was one of the big stars of the radio era. You know, she was this big vo- uh, voiced singer, had her own radio show in the 1930s. I mean, she was she was super hot back then. I mean, she was a big star. Her most famous song is probably her version of God Bless America, written in 1939, I think, by by Irving Berlin. They've been playing it at Yankee games for, well, since uh, September 11th, 2001. They no longer play it at Yankee games because somebody somewhere doing an internet search found in 1931, she sang a song, which actually is a satire of white supremacists, but it's got lyrics that somebody could interpret as being racist, especially if you didn't know it was a satire. So that song plus another song that she said in 1933. Well, now people are offended. At least somebody somewhere has called the Yankees' attention to this, and the Yankees have said, well, because of sensitivities to this, we are no longer going to play the Kate Smith version of God Bless America that we used to play every seventh inning. And I we talked about this in the first half hour of the program. I just think it's absolutely crazy. Well, here's the update on this, and I sent out a note on Twitter. You can follow me. And you, you almost you have to see this photo because this says it all about America in 2019 and, and when it comes to issues of racism and virtue signaling and things of the like. All right. In addition to them playing God Bless America at Yankee Stadium, Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Flyers hockey team has been using I, Kate Smith died in 1987. Kate Smith's version of God Bless America has been played regularly at Philadelphia Flyer games for decades, going back to 1969. She was viewed as kind of their good luck charm because when they play God Bless America before their games, they win. Matter of fact, most famously, I mean, she... 1974, before the Stanley Cup final, she she went and sang it in person, and they won. So she's kind of been their good luck charm. 
in recent years, now she passed away in 1986, 1987. They've had another singer performing God Bless America along with a hologram of Kate Smith. (laughs) That's it. So she's an institution in Philadelphia, all right? (laughs) They erected a statue, a statue to Kate Smith that they originally put outside the old Philadelphia spectrum. When, and and it's her singing, you know, it, it depicts her singing God Bless America, right? When the Philadelphia Flyers moved to their their new facility they moved the statue along with it so there's this statue outside the place the ice hockey arena and it's got kate smith there the postal service developed a stamp dedicated to her our president reagan awarded her the presidential medal of freedom in 1982 but there's this statue of kate smith that is outside the Philadelphia um, arena, and it's been there, you know, for decades. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 you will see what they have done to the Kate Smith statue. The I, I do not make this up. They've taken this black tarp, and they have completely and totally covered up the statue. And then they've taken, I don't know, it's it's the it's like the yellow plastic cords. Like if you ever buy a a a, a box of paper, like ten reams, it's that kind of yellow plastic stuff that that secures the box of paper. And okay, so they put this ugly black tarp over. I'm not making this up. Over the Kate Smith statue, and now they've taken like this <laughs> this plastic tubing cording and they've wrapped it around to hold the black tarp in place now presumably the the statue will soon be leveled and taken away but but they were so incensed and apparently so concerned that somebody somewhere might be offended by kate smith singing the song in 1931 that somebody had to run out instantly and put this crappy-looking, I was going to use another word, but then I'd be in trouble on Good Friday, this crappy-looking tarp over the Kate Smith statue and then wrap it with this, uh, again, this yellow this yellow plastic tubing to hold the thing in place. The headline of the story in the Philadelphia newspaper, Flyers cover Kate Smith statue, dump God bless America over racist songs. We have gone through the looking glass here in America in 2019. I, I'm, I just, I mean, you, I, every time you say, what could possibly be next? It, it just, it just surprises you. And then I get mad at myself that I'm surprised that somebody would run up. They've got a tarp over the Kate Smith statue. They are so upset and so concerned that somebody somewhere might be offended that we've got to take the statue that's been there for 50 years and cover it with a tarp. All right. The note on Twitter said, all right, the update on the Kate Smith statue, and then um, I, I can just summarize my reaction to all this in three words. Give me strength. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us for the better part of five years. In a nod to what I believe was political correctness, the former police chief of Milwaukee, Ed Flynn, with the blessing of Mayor Tom Barrett, essentially t- 
tied the hands of their police officers when it came to chasing, right? The rule was essentially you cannot chase fleeing vehicles unless you have reason to believe that there's been a felony or something committed by the vehicle, by the people in the vehicle. And, and as a practical matter, that's almost never going to be the case. I mean, you you don't know why somebody, if you're a cop, you don't know why somebody's running from you. All you know is, hey, I saw dry, somebody driving 70 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. I try to pull them over. I don't know why they've run. I don't know if they're high. I don't know if they're selling drugs. I don't know if they've got a body in the trunk. I, I don't know. All right, but you had to know that the person had committed a felony before you were allowed to chase him. They changed that policy about a year ago in response to just community outrage because we all know what was happening. You'd have people that just would run from the cops routinely, drive 75 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone, cop tries to pull you over, you just make an obscene gesture at him, and you drive away because they knew they did not chase. And it happened time and time again. And what ended up happening is, number one, the bad guys got away. And number two, what would happen is you'd have you know innocent people that were still getting hurt because the people were driving recklessly. This just encouraged reckless driving. They changed these rules, what, about a year ago, and now police have the right to chase essentially when they notice reckless driving. You know, yet there's still all the standards about crime and stuff. But if you see a car driving 80 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone, you can try to pull them over. And if they take off, you can follow them and try to apprehend them. All right. I support that change. I support the change now. However, here are the newest numbers. So after about a year, the story is that the police, this is Milwaukee, Milwaukee police chased fleeing drivers 940 times during 2018. All right, let me just, let's think about that for just a second. All right, how many days in a year? 365, right? They did 940 chases. That means on average, about two and a half chases a day in Milwaukee. If you don't think you've got a problem with people fleeing from you, two and a half times on average a day. That was a 155% increase over the previous year. So dramatically more chases. 20 officers were injured during the pursuits. You will remember one officer lost his life. Um, 165 pursuit students, uh, subjects, were injured, five of whom died. All right, according to this report, about 38% of the pursuits resulted in apprehensions. And the same percentage of chases were terminated because what happens is if they don't think they can chase safely, they, they knock it off. So so those are the numbers. As a result of this change of policy, they are chasing more. As a result of that, chases are dangerous. There's no question about it. You know, more cops have been hurt. More of the people being pursued have been hurt. And you do have the instances where you've got the innocent people who end up getting hurt as well. 414-799-1620. I think the change in policy, even given that it's, you know, led to more and more chases, I continue to believe that it is the right thing to do. I think you cannot allow bad guys just to drive away. And I understand that there's risks that are involved. But candidly, I think those risks are worth it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I also believe that there's still... 
I think there's still a lack of awareness. I think there's still a lot of punks and thugs and bad guys operating in the city of Milwaukee who haven't gotten the word, who don't realize that, you know, the cops, it's not like it was before, and the cops are, in fact, going to chase you. And I think maybe, just maybe, as the word gets out, maybe at least some of those punks and thugs and criminals will be less likely to try to take off and run from the police. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Again, I, I, when you do these chases, you've got to be you, – you, you have to recognize, you know, where you are. You have to recognize the time of day. You have to recognize, you know, what the traffic situation is and what the pedestrians are. But as a general rule, as a policy, I want police chasing people – who are committing crimes or driving recklessly, I want to get those people caught and off the street. And if you just let them drive away, well, we saw how that worked. 414-799-1620. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. About a year ago, Milwaukee changed its policy. They now they now chase cars more than they used to. And predictably, the number of chases in the last year up 155%. They chased fleeing drivers 940 times during 2018. 20 officers were injured during the pursuits, one fatally. 165 pursuit subjects were injured, five of whom were dead. Our first caller is a current Milwaukee police officer. He said, I don't support the chase policy. Problem is, even if we catch him, the courts just release him. I understand. Believe me, I get that frustration. To me, though, what we were doing before didn't work. You just can't let the bad guys drive away. Mary in Milwaukee. Mary, thanks for waiting. Hello. Hi. Um, I routinely drive from Glendale to Wauwatosa, West Dallas, every day. Uh, and a lot of times, because the freeways are packed, I'll take Sherman Boulevard. And twice in the last two months, I've literally had high-speed chases go right past me where they almost clipped me, mm-hmm. uh, went up on the sidewalk, and had four police officers chasing them. And as I was driving to my destination right now, I was coming down 94 East, and the guy's going uh, literally looks like 95 miles an hour in and out of all the traffic. Right. And what's so disturbing to me is that there's just absolutely no dis- there's no regard for the vehicle laws right. at all. And right. I think that the fact that they've actually caught, I don't know what the percentage was, you said 40-some percent. Yep, about 40. At least 40% of them are off the road. Yeah, see, That's I, my thought. Yeah, yeah, see, I mean, I, I agree, Mary. It's, it's interesting you talk about that. The um, I was at a last Saturday night. Uh, my wife and I were at a concert downtown. It ends about 11 o'clock. So we're, we're coming home. We're going 43 north, about 1130. There were three cars that were, they were essentially drag racing. And, okay, so if I'm going... 55, 60, 65, whatever I'm going, you're heading north. Um, they're, they're, they had to be going 95 or 100. And you see these cars coming up like bats out of you-know-where behind you. You watch them pass. They're weaving in and out. And I'm watching this thinking, you know, somebody's going to get killed. And, and yes, I, I want the cops chasing these. I'm like, where are the police? Because I want them chasing these people because, you know, if if you don't, um, yeah, are they going to run? Maybe, but if they're not, you know it's going to end badly and it's going to be some innocent citizen that, that gets hurt. I, I wish they wouldn't drive like that, but if they are, I want the cops trying to get them off the street. 
Well, and it's difficult to even try and report them because a lot of them don't even have license right. plates. At the time. <laughs> yeah, I, this, uh, you know, I, no, I, I sometimes I go home from here. I go through Esterbrook Park, which is just immediately to the east. The other day, true story, I'm driving through Esterbrook Park. There is a car coming the other way that's that's in my lane. It's a two-lane thing. It, it's literally in my lane, so it's almost like we're going to hit head-on. The car got to be going 80 miles an hour, and I'm I, I'm thinking, this guy's got to be drunk or crazy or it's stolen or whatever. I'm trying to catch a license plate just as it whizzes by. There's, like you say, there's no license plate on the car. I mean, I, you know, it's like, I don't know. I could call 911 and say, hey, I almost got hit by this white car driving 95 miles an hour, but I, I don't have any more identification. No, thanks exactly. for calling. It's like the wild, wild west. Well, it, it is. No, it is. Thanks for calling. It, it is. And, and look, and I understand that chases are dangerous. And I do also understand that you have to use you have to use common sense. There's sometimes, as frustrating as it is, you just have to let the bad guys get away. But with all due respect to our first caller, who I, I respect. Look, he's out there, you know, working day in, day out, you know, trying to keep the rest of us safe. I, I, I just, what we were doing when we let everybody just drive away, it wasn't working. And the word got out among the criminal class that, hey, drive away, they won't chase you. Just, you know, go 85 miles an hour in that stolen car, make an obscene gesture at the cops, they're going to let you go. And, and that's, that's wrong. Is the other issue valid that when they catch them, you know, why do we have, especially if they're juveniles, why do we have this catch and release policy in Milwaukee County? Well, that's that's a valid point as well. Scott and Cudahy. Hi, Scott. You're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, so I agree with Mary. Uh, I think catch them, like you said, uh, it's about 40 percent. So that's what's around 350, 375 people that got tickets get arrested. Mm-hmm. Even if they kick them loose, it's on their record. If you continually get them, I imagine the court system finally has to do something. They can't keep coming back every week and say, oh, yeah, I'm back, kick me out again. Well, you would think that, but... I, you, you would think that, but, you know, if you look at some of the records that some of these juveniles have, that's exactly it. Oh, this is your 14th card that you've stolen. Well, here, we're going to put you on double secret probation. But, no, you're, you're, you're right. You've you got to do something, and the well, fact that the court systems are failing, that's not a reason to just let these people get away. Exactly. The second thing is, it's like, okay, I understand the police frustration, but, you know, it's like if, if you're doing your job, at least you're doing your job. The court system is a separate problem. Yep. Let them fix the court systems. At least the police are doing their job. You know, at least do your part and let the courts, if the courts keep failing, hopefully eventually the citizens will rise up and get the courts to fix themselves. But you got to continue to do your job. Right, exactly. I mean, thanks, Nicole. The congregation says amen. And, and keep in mind that, as I said at the beginning, a lot, you don't know, the police officer, you don't know why somebody has run. I mean, all you know is that somebody somebody's taken off on you. You 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 don't know. And again, it it could be one thing I don't know from these statistics is you know when they ultimately caught the person that was running, what what was the reason why they were running? Was it a stolen car? Were they driving recklessly? You had the situation the other day where you had the guy that ended up hitting and killing the twenty, the, the sixteen-year-old or the 18, 16 year old I think, who runs the red light trying to run from cops and hits and kills a twenty-five-year-old man. A, a huge tragedy. You know, his line is, "Well, I, I was running because I had dope in the car, I had a gun, and I didn't want to go to jail." Okay, so you don't know why it is that people are are running. Is it a is it a fugitive that the police have been looking for 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 a year? Is it a drunk who, if you don't try to get them off the roads, they're going to hit and kill somebody somewhere down the road. That That's the other thing that's impossible to quantify. But the bottom line is, chases are up. That is to be expected. And I, I guess I appreciate that there is a risk, but I think 
I think chasing is a good policy as a general rule. And the problem isn't that the cops are chasing. It's that the bad guys are trying to run. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We are back. I'm dying to know your reaction to this story. I will tell you mine at the outset. This guy is sort of my hero in a way for what he did. It's there's a saint. His name is Don Marsh. He works. He's 80 years old and has worked forever at the St. Louis public radio station. So he's one of those guys on on public radio. And I I, I don't know the nature of his program, but it's public radio, so I can kind of figure it out. But but they they do interviews and stuff. So a couple weeks, he's 80 years old. He's been there forever. So a couple weeks ago, he has a guest on his show. And the guest is a, a woman named Karen Floss, who is what they describe as an iconic St. Louis TV newswoman. So she's been on on TV for a long period of time. So think uh, my friend Joyce Garbasiak or my friend Carol Meekins or something like that. So, and, and Ms. Foss is 75. The guy is 80. Don Marsh is 80. So she comes into the studio to do an interview. So she sits down, and the first thing he says to her is, you, you look great. <laughs> I mean, he's nice to see you, Karen. You look great. Okay. All right. And then, then they go on with the interview. Nice to see you, Karen. You look great. They, they go on. They do the interview. All right. End of the interview. And then apparently the you-know-what hits the fan. Uh, she, this would be the guest, the 75-year-old guest, she doesn't complain to anybody about the interview. The producer, the equivalent of Gru. Gru goes into station management, well, the producer of the show, goes in, and I don't know if it's a man or a woman, goes into station management and complains, says, I I think that what Don Marsh did, I I think this was sexist and offensive when the woman sat down and and he said, hey, you look great. I, I think this is offensive. At which point in time, station management whistles him into the office. He gets called to a meeting. And the management, the boss, says, well, I just want you to know, we've had a complaint about your greeting, you telling the guests that she looked great. And um, we consider that this greeting bordered on being inappropriate. That's the phrase. It, it bordered on being inappropriate. At which point in time, the guy says, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just, I, I, what you mean, I, what do you mean I bordered on inappropriate? I'm 80. She's 75. We're contemporary. I told her it, she looked great. And that's, that's sexist. That's demeaning to women. They say, well, it bordered on inappropriate. He quit on the spot. Now, the follow up to that is the, the public radio station wanted to give him an award recognizing him for lifetime achievement. He said, well, I won't say exactly what he said, but he said no thanks. He, he turned it down. He said, I, I think this would be completely, I think it would be completely inappropriate um, for this. All right, so the woman that he said it to, I mean, she finds this out, and here's what she says. She says, I'm reading her Facebook post. This past Tuesday, I had the pleasure of being a guest on such and such radio where I was interviewed by Don Marsh on St. Louis on the Air. He was an impressive host. The time flew by. I was surprised to later realize that we had covered multiple topics in such a short time, etc., etc. Imagine my shock when I learned the very next morning Marsh and the radio station parted ways. I was doubly shocked when sources told me that I had played an unwitting role in his departure. 
Reportedly, Marsh was reprimanded for greeting me with a, you look great. The assertion being that Don was making a sexist comment. Now, this is the woman writing. I am appalled. As a woman who has long argued for equitable treatment of women, I'm highly alert to sexism and discrimination, and I sensed absolutely none of that in his greeting. In fact, I strongly suspect I responded by saying, so do you. It's a common way for those of us who are aged to greet each other, meaning we share our pleasure at being vital and healthy. It is in no way leering or meant to diminish anyone's intellectual or professional contributions. Um, da, 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 da. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We've been talking on today's program about you know going through the, the rabbit hole on these things, whether it's the Kate Smith stuff. Here you have the St. Louis public radio host who quits after being reprimanded for saying to a, a, a guest, somebody that he's known for years and years, hey, you look great. 414-799-1620, and I am particularly curious about, well, I'll take any response, but but female response in general. If one of your colleagues or contemporaries says, that hasn't seen you in a while or whatever, says, hey, you, you, you look great. I mean, is that sexist? Is that grounds for being offended? And I, and I seriously want to know because if I'm going out to dinner with friends and it's other couples and, and maybe there's females out there that I haven't seen for a while and I walk in and I say, hey, you look great. Have, am, am, is this sexist? Is this demeaning to women? Is this the type of thing that if you say it, you lose your job or should lose your job or be reprimanded? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Oh, look, again, just like we were talking about earlier with racism, I understand there's real racism in this world, but I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. If you say, hey, thanks for coming in, you look great, is that the type of thing that should get you reprimanded or fired? Is that really where we are? We discuss in just a moment. Gru is lining up the calls. Stick around. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner, radio host in St. Louis says to a female guest, hey, you look great. And he is reprimanded, saying, well, you know, this borders on, on being you know, sexist and offensive. He just says, okay, enough. I quit. <laughs> Deb in Union Grove. Deb, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Deb. I think he was um, absolutely in line when he said that. There's nothing wrong with that. People have too much time in the hand if they have to take offense for somebody to tell you that you look great. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of all these different situations where I it just didn't for, forget the radio. You, you go out in real life and it's a couple couples and maybe you haven't seen somebody for a while and you say, hey, Deb, you look great. You know, you know yeah, it, that's now going to be sexist and demeaning to women. I can't say it. Really? <laughs> I say it to men all the time. Yeah. Is that sexist? Then? I don't I don't agree with this person who thought it was sexist. It's absolutely not. Well, it's just telling somebody that they're they're glad to see them. They look great. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, right. It's like you're, our, right, you're our, paying a compliment to them. Our society is getting way, way too sensitive about things that we say and things need to be said, frankly, and they need to be heartwarming yeah. that's the problem with our society everybody's out for themselves now and they don't worry about paying right, well, a compliment to anybody no, no right and that's it thanks thanks for call i mean I, I i was trying to think about this during the break I, I mean i don't know how this comes down the last time i interviewed tommy thompson former governor and tommy and i go back 25 years last time he came in the studio i think i said to him 
Tommy, you look great. He'd lost some weight or something like that. And, and I'm, okay, so now I'm sitting here thinking, all right, well, it, it, is that, is that something that somebody's supposed to be offended about? I'm sorry. If you see me on the street and you think I've lost some weight or you think I look great or, hey, I, I love the way Fran's got your hair styled or I love the way you're dressing, you can tell me I look great. I'm not going to be offended by that. Curtis in Green Bay. Curtis, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How Hi, Curtis. you doing? Good. Hi, Curtis. You sound great. You just sound great on the radio. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, maybe it's uh, looking forward to getting to some Brewer games here, but let's stay on topic. Sure. So I have to say, within the last 30 days of listening to your show, and I know you speak a lot of different things into your open microphone, right? but uh, you were getting joined by Melissa Barclay. She walks in, you say, and here joins me now the beautiful Melissa right. Barclay. Right, the lovely and charming or whatever. Absolutely, yep. It was so fun uh, <laughs> hearing the exchange between you guys after that. And to me, it's the same thing. And that was the first thing she said. Yes, Jeff, of course you can say that to me. <laughs> right. You just know. Right. You just you just never know. No, thanks. Thank, and thanks for listening. Thanks for remembering that. That, that That's that's it. Now, Melissa, you just happened to, to I walk in. I just walked in. in, yeah. Okay. Did, did you hear the story? I don't no, know if you were I didn't. listening. Okay. Guy, he's a, he's a public radio host, been a public radio host in St. Louis forever, 80 years old, has a guest on who is like a local TV personality. She's 75. And so they've been competitors for years and years. She comes in to do the, the radio show, and he starts off by saying, hey, thanks for coming over today. You look great. All right? That's what he says. You right. look great. They go. They do the interview, et cetera, et cetera. The producer of the show, now, the lady doesn't complain. The producer of the show goes into management and says, I think this was offensive and borderline sexist. He told her to look great. And they bring him in. They reprimand him. Oh, no. And he says, oh, he says, I'm done. He's not 80 years old. I don't need this. Yeah, in the blank. that's so stressful. And, and, and he quits. He says, I'm, I'm just not putting up with this. The, the woman, the guest, she writes a Facebook blog saying, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I mean, it's just how people greet each other. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't leering. It wasn't like, you know, Joe Biden type of creepy. It yeah, that was, was just, taken way out of context. Right. Well, yeah. well, it's just, hey, you look great. And What's so, wrong with that? I that that is my question you know and that's that's what the guy was asking yeah. but i'm now sitting there thinking okay um can can you not say to a, a if i've got carol meekins who comes in or joyce garbasiak a friend of mine from the old days and stuff and and you come in and they sit down it's just kind of a natural thing hey great to see you you look great i'm so glad you're here you look great yeah people say no, thanks that's, jeff that's you look great yourself Carol was in here. She's on our show quite a bit in the afternoon. Right. And I tell her every day, I said, oh, I love that color on you. I lo- you think you look great. Be like, careful. Well, <laughs> be, be, I'm just telling you, be careful. But it's, you know, it's a compliment. It's something nice well, to say. I, I, right. But it's, it's where we are in this world nowadays. And I actually give the guy credit. He's 80 years old. He's like, I, they, they start, they said, well, you know, it's, we've gotten a complaint. Your producer complained about this. And we just think that it's, it's borderline inappropriate to which he says, I've had it. He's like, done and <laughs> done, done. Done and done. <laughs> yeah. See you later. Aww. And then, interestingly enough, the follow-up is they wanted to give him a Lifetime Achievement Award, you know, and he said, nah, I don't think so. All right. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 2 o'clock. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Thank you for spending Good Friday along here. I'm looking at the traffic, and it's just... Um, a lot of people taking the, the day off. I think a lot of people took the whole day off, and certainly a lot of people taking the afternoon off. But that's okay. My producer, Gru, and I, we are we are working. We are here for you. I, I hope you have a very happy Easter. Kind of looking forward to this. This is the this is the first year that since we've been married that my wife has been retired. She always worked in the she managed a restaurant, and so 
Easter was a big day that had an Easter brunch. And so this is the first year that since we've been together that we get to we're, we're hosting Easter at our place. And it is the royal we. I mean, it's just it's it is our place. But um, <laughs> it's everybody that's coming over to our house and it, it is going to be a massive success. And that's going to be because my wife, not because of me. But, yes, we are hosting it. Um, but she does all the work and I get to take advantage of that stuff. My my only responsibility is make sure there's beer and wine and liquor. And I, I, I can handle I can handle that. And then after we serve everybody the first drink, it's like, OK, you're on your own. You're all family and stuff. But hope you have a very happy and joyous Easter as well. OK. This is a story that a version of this crops up from time to time. And I I will tell you, I know whenever I talk about this, I, I know that people disagree with me from time to time. But my question becomes, what are school districts supposed to do? Now, back in the day when when I was in school, I I rarely got a hot lunch. Generally speaking, my mom would would make a sandwich and put an apple in the bag, and I take it to lunch to school. That that's how that's how it worked. But um, we, as a matter of fact, a couple of the schools I went to didn't really even have cafeterias where they had hot lunches. So if you wanted lunch, you had had to bring it. But but then there's always you know you have the cafeteria line as well. And back in the day, you just you simply paid cash for it. So if you didn't have the lunch. Uh, that your mom packed or that you packed yourself or whatever you you went and you got in line and you you gave them a buck fifty or whatever the the lunch was at the time all right and that's just how it worked well nowadays it's gotten a lot more complicated nowadays the kids don't don't carry cash I guess and what happens is everybody's got an account and you just go and you charge stuff up and then when the account gets low all right, mom and dad get the notification, and mom or dad put more money in your account, generally via credit card, and then you buy more lunches. Well, what happens when mom and dad don't do that? Mom and dad forget to do it, or there's some sort of screw-up, and the money doesn't get into your account. What happens to the kid and the lunch? And how long should the school continue just to give kids lunches? Now, there's a story in the Journal Sentinel about a variation of this parent upset with a middle school out in in Sussex, Templeton Middle School. I happen to know that middle school. And upset, here's what the the mom says, that the kid kid showed up. um, There wasn't money in his lunch account. Mom says, hey, this is my fault. Um, I needed to refill the account. I normally deposit money. I did, or at least I tried to do it, but the bank held this up because they thought it might be a suspicious transaction, so I didn't do any follow-up, so there's no money in the kid's account. And what ends up happening is they say, okay, you you can't get food. We're not going to give you food. There's no money in your account. Mom is unhappy, said, this is terrible. My, my, my son was angry. He was crying. He was hungry. He was scared. He was confused. That, that he was humiliated. He was, you know, food shamed, et cetera, et cetera. And mom says, it's my responsibility that I didn't load money earlier to make sure that this didn't happen. My problem, though, is I don't think they handled it correctly. And then the story goes on to talk about how a limited number of parents had had a similar sort of problem. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, see, I think this problem starts with the parents. I I think 
there is no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> you know, and, and we're not talking about, again, people who are qualifying for the free lunches. But I, I think if you as a parent, it's your responsibility to either make sure that there's enough money in your kid's account to cover the lunch or you make your kid a lunch. I think I think that's the responsibility, and I understand that, that maybe you get a little bit of leeway, and, and maybe you know the school carries the kid for a day or two, but after that, I mean, I don't think the school has an obligation to give the kids free lunches. And again, I'm assuming here, mom and dad have the ability to pay. This isn't a situation where again you can't afford it. It's just. You know, mom and dad haven't done it for whatever reason. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, how how long do schools have an obligation to give kids free lunches when mom and dad either aren't sending their kid to school with lunches or aren't putting money in his or her account? I think a day or two, but after that, I mean, mom and dad, if you want to make sure your kid gets fed, well, I think you got to make sure your kid gets fed. And I don't think it's the school district's responsibility to keep carrying them. Now, in some school districts, because they're so sensitive to this whole issue, you know, what they do is they say, well, if you're behind, we'll just add these fees on and we'll attach them to, to next year. I don't think the school should be a collection agency for lunch stuff. Seems to me this is mom and dad's responsibility not the schools. Just like, again, if you're worried about your kid having lunch money, make sure your kid has lunch money. And with all due respect, I'm reading the story, and the mom says, well, he wasn't able to get his lunch. He was crying. He was hungry. He was scared. He was confused. My guess is... Right? You're not you're not talking about the kid going hungry for a week. My guess is there's all sorts of times when, like perhaps during the summer when he's out playing, the kid you know might skip lunch, and it's not exactly the end of the world. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. What is a school to do? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're back, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, and again, this is a story in the Journal Sentinel. But I'm talking about the. I want to talk about the basic concepts of of the, this whole school lunch type of situation, and you, you have this happen a, a lot. And the question becomes: At what point in time do schools have an obligation to provide lunches to kids that don't have the money in their account? And how long do you let this go on? Dave and Grafton, Dave, you're on WTMJ. Well, Jeff, my perspective, uh, I've had three boys go through this. My youngest guy has been out for uh, a year, and our school district bent over backwards to facilitate uh, kids eating. They know that glitches can happen with bank accounts. They know that uh, mom uh, is relying on dad to replenish the money, and dad thinks that mom is. The way it worked at our school is that when our balance got low, we started getting a notification. You don't get notified when it's zero. You get notified like when it's at $15. And you keep getting those notifications. And our school would let you go into a small negative balance. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I think is by, appropriate. By, I mean, I, I think it's by, appropriate because stuff happens. Yes, but by the time that they cut it off, the parents would have received 15 or 20 notifications. It's ridiculous to blame the schools. This is total irresponsibility 
on the parents' part. Well, but stuff and does. I mean, stuff does happen. I mean, it, it, whether the, it's the system is built to absorb that, but but when when parents abuse the system or they take it for granted that the school is going to provide, that's where you come up with these stories. When the school, um, and, though, if the kid doesn't get his lunch, um, is I mean, is that a is that a big deal? Regardless of regardless of whose fault it is, whether it's the schools or the parents or, or whatever, um, should we make sure that the kid is getting something to eat? Let me tell you, um, in in the summertime when the kids are out having fun, they skip lunch all the time. You know, most of these kids nowadays yeah. could probably uh, benefit from missing a meal or two. You know, well, I, it is not going to die from not having a lunch one day. Okay, thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. We're now joined by Katie in Lannan. Hi, Katie. Hi. You're the you're the you you're the one that contacted the reporter on this story. That's what my note, I, my note says. Okay. I I am. Okay. Was this your kid? Your child? Um, my child is the one that happened to a couple years ago. Okay, got it. So yes, it has happened to my child. Okay. Um, I want to be clear in saying that this is not about the money. In all three cases that were quoted in the article, it um, the money was posted or put in the accounts that morning and not posted in time. I understand that glitches happen. Mm-hmm. The bigger issue here is the way the kids are treated when it happens. They are being bullied. The lunch staff is telling them, sorry, go ask somebody else for food, and literally takes their food out of their hands. They're not given an option to go to their locker. When asked if they can go to their locker, they're told, no, you don't have a pass. They're not given an option to go to the office, to call home. They're not given any options. Let me ask you, the, just, the policy oh, wow. of this, and I'm trying to talk about generality, but the policy of this school is that they're supposed to be allowed to call home, right? They're supposed to be. Okay, so that's what the policy is. So if that's not happening, it's because some lunch personnel or something isn't doing what the policy is. Correct. Okay, let me ask you this. Um, how much, and I, and again, I, I'm kind of curious about generalities. How much notice do parents get when the account is running low? For example, is this, does this happen when the balance hits zero or is there some grace period, you know, that they'll give lunches when there's no money in the account? There is no grace period. If the if the um, if you, th- there has been situations where the child was ten cents short and not offered to leave the milk, just nope, sorry, right. you're ten cents short. Um, they do give us calls, emails, text messages. Um, it used to be three there um, when their balance fell below three meals and now it's five um, okay so when they, when they only have enough for five meals left that's when they start getting notices you know that your, your kid's running out of money right Got it. but i will tell you that in many situations like my son and like one of the kids that was po- talked about in the article is um we only put money in our kids accounts when we know they're going to take out lunch because they do have dietary restrictions mm-hmm. And so, and we, you know, just like every other American right now, can't afford to have a long-standing balance tied up for no reason. So we, I put money in my child's account when I know he's going to have lunch. And in the mm-hmm. situation when it happened to my son, the money didn't post by lunchtime, which it's supposed to be an immediate post. So you did it on that day. So you weren't running like a three or four day balance. It was like, okay, you need it for that day. I'm just curious, do they take cash? And see, I'm old fashioned. I used to always go to lunch and like mom would give me the two bucks or whatever it was. Right. Do they take cash now or do you have to do it this electronic way? 
Um, I know at the high school they take cash. At the middle school, they're saying that now they will take cash. But the problem is the kids aren't notified of that. They're 11 and 12 years old, the sixth graders that this is happening to. They don't know their rights. They don't know what they're allowed to do. The school is not telling even the parents at the beginning of the school year, listen, this is what you, this is different than elementary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, if you happen to know the policy, great. If you don't, oh, well, you're going to find out the hard way. Yeah. Well, cause that's see, see, to me, okay. that's the, the easy way. Like in a situation like yours, I, I get it. Your, your child a couple years ago doesn't, doesn't eat lunch every day. So it's only going to be a hit or miss type of thing. It would seem to me it would just be a lot easier on those days. Here's two dollars or whatever it costs. Here, here's two bucks. Take it, give it, and then then you don't even have to fool around with this whole electronic thing. Right, and at the high school level, that's allowed. At the elementary school, I know that it's not. And I'm honestly, and that's one of the problems is when it happened a couple of years ago. I went to the superintendent, and I tried to. They said that they were rewriting everything, and I tried mm-hmm. to do everything the appropriate way, and. And then I find out this year, because this year it happened to my son's best friend, and I found out this year that it's still happening, and that's why, yeah, I chose to involve the media. I chose to bring awareness in any way that I could. Mm-hmm. So the, the way, how should this work out? I mean, the bottom line is, number one, they should be able to take money, and number two, what, what, how should this, in your opinion, how, does this, how should the school handle this? Kid shows up, gets the food, doesn't have the money in the account. What should the school do? I think that it goes back a little bit further than that, that it should be made perfectly clear at the beginning of every year, even Mm -hmm. if you're in eighth grade, what the situation is and what's going to happen. It starts there. And then I do believe that there has to be some kind of, for lack of better terms, bedside manner training, that there needs to be some tact in the way that these people in the lunchroom approach the situation. Okay. They're being very harsh and rude about it, and, that, and a okay. 11 and 12-year-olds don't know how to respond to that. Bad customer service. There you go. Okay, thanks. I pre- <laughs> no, okay, thanks. For, I appreciate the perspective. No, no, I mean, because this, this is... Look, there, we were talking about something earlier about a teacher that wrote something on people's on, on people's report cards, and I, I mean, there, there's no need to necessarily be rude about it. I, I guess I, to me, if you just took cash, it solves that problem. I mean, I understand her point. She's like, gee, I, I don't want to, I don't. The kid doesn't do this every day. I don't want to put all this money in the account to to have it tied up. Well, then, okay, send him to school with two bucks or whatever it is, or three bucks, or, or whatever, and you end up solving the problem. I, I, I get that you don't want to be rude. At the same time, I, I don't think schools have an obligation to be debt collection agencies where, you know, the people, you know, run, hey, you know, you're, you're two weeks in arrears. That's not fair, I think, to everybody else. So there is a balance that's out there, and obviously it does sound like, if nothing else, from a customer relations standpoint, maybe Sussex needs to do a little bit of work because there's at least a handful of parents who say, hey, our kids got caught up in this and um, we're trying to do the right thing. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here's Jeff Wagner. We are back. Thanks for joining us, and good Friday. Hope you have a great Easter holiday. All right, this is the time, as the voice guy says, we put aside the heavy lifting yeah, sometimes today, we, sometimes we talk about movies, sometimes TV, sometimes vacation, sometimes food. T- today, the, the topic comes from the world of sports. I, 
we're really this is a period of time where if you're a Wisconsin sports fan, it, it's absolutely amazing. When, when you think of you think of it, now the Packers are a little bit down, but we're optimistic. You've got the Brewers that darn near made the World Series last year. And if they pick up their pitching and start hitting a little better, they might make the World Series this year. You've got the Bucks that I, I think, I mean, I think they've got as good a chance to win the NBA Finals as, as any team. And you've got all this going on. And you've got some really, really great players. I was watching the Bucks game on TV the other night, and it was interesting. You had Aaron Rodgers, you know, who, you know, you, you could make an argument that might be one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Former, you know, a two-time MVP. You know, he was there. Christian Yelich, who is just an amazing baseball player, last year's MVP, you know, he was there at the game watching. And then you had Giannis, who will be, I think, this year's MVP, you know, playing in the game. And you just thought, man, there's all these incredibly great athletes. So I thought in recognition of what really is, I think, a golden age of, of Wisconsin sports. We do a pop culture corner today dedicated to what I say, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. All right, the best athlete that you ever saw in person. All right, that's the caveat. It's got to be in person, not somebody that you know you saw on TV or you heard about or you read about. The best athlete that you ever saw in person. And it can come, it can be football, it can be basketball, it can be hockey, it can be baseball, it can be golf, it can be auto racing, you know, whatever. But the best athlete that you ever had the opportunity to see in person. And it doesn't have to be an athlete that played for a Wisconsin sports team, for example, but it could be I don't know. I was, you know, I went to the game and I saw Kobe Bryant when he scored X amount of points. Or I had an opportunity to see Jim Brown when he played for the Cleveland Browns. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Pop Culture Corner. The best athlete you ever saw. The best there is. The best there was. The best there ever will be. I always say to people, our phone lines tend to jam up quickly. So my advice is call quickly. 414-799-1620. Is the number, and also go with your first instinct. Sometimes people tend to overthink this. But the best athlete you ever saw in person, we're back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. 414 799 1620. The best athlete you ever saw, and this is on honor of. Christian Yelich and Aaron Rodgers and Giannis all being together the other night. Let's start with Dean in Oak Creek. Dean, hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you, sir. Okay, best athlete you ever saw? Uh, Smoking Joe Frazier, heavyweight champ of the world. You saw you saw Frazier fight in person? No, I met him. In, in, I was working oh. in Kansas City. He was there watching his son Marvis right. fight in the Golden Gloves tournament. And uh, he came into a hotel lounge uh, surrounded by his entourage, and I was so excited to see him. I ran. I said, Smoking Joe, I broke right through the guys, and he was very generous and warm. And <laughs> He didn't deck you. When you ran past no. his entourage, he didn't, he didn't throw off and hit, hit you with a haymaker, huh? No, these guys were like, hey, hey, hey. And he goes, no, man, he's cool, he's cool. So we sat at the bar, had a drink. We chatted for a while. 
and uh, he signed uh, his autograph on my business card. Oh, and, cool. Uh, we talked boxing for a long time. He was just a great guy. Yeah, well, and those the three fights he had with Ali, the first one that he won and the uh, second two that he ended up losing, those were those were amazing fights, maybe some of the greatest boxing matches in history. Right. The Thrilla in Manila, I think, was the best one, the last one. Right. Now, thanks. All outstanding. And he, he was not the favorite in any of those and uh, ended up surprising Muhammad Ali and winning the first time, lost the last two rematches, but tremendous uh, athlete. Danita in Hartford, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Getting ready to start my weekend. I'm looking forward to that. Best athlete yeah. you ever saw in person. Well, I actually have been very lucky enough to meet quite a few uh, Packer players, but one of the best ones I thought was Donald Driver. He was just genuine. He spoke with you. He didn't treat you any differently than a good friend, and it, that was a joy to meet him. Um, I've always enjoyed football, so it was fun to watch. and. Yeah. You know, and he's another guy that, you know, when he ended up getting drafted, I mean, people thought he was going to be okay, but I don't think anybody thought that he was going to turn into the superstar that he turned into. You know, that's a, it's really a question of somebody, when you think of all the busts that are out there, he was a guy who really developed into quite the player. Well, yeah, and then just his community, the stuff that he does and he gives back to and stuff like that and staying local. And right. All those things just make a great rounded player for right. sure. Yeah, plus he's on Dancing with the Stars. You know, we can't go wrong with that, huh? Yeah. Have a good weekend. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. You as well. Debbie in Waukesha. Hi, Debbie. You're on WTMJ. Was what? Debbie? Hi. Hi, Debbie. Can you hear me? I can. Hello. Hello. We can hear you. Okay. So we were down in Atlanta, Georgia at the time that Henry Aaron was going to get of the run that would put him in, in seven fifth, his seven hundred fifteenth when he passed Babe, Babe Ruth. Fifteenth, right? And we were waiting at the gate because my dad wanted to get his autograph. Well, Henry did not walk through the gate. He drove through the gate, and my dad saw him in the car, and he jumped out to say, Henry, Mr. Aaron, can we have your autograph? And he got surrounded by all the security people and. But we got his autograph. Times about four of us. So oh, how lots of fun. how cool is that? How how cool is that? No, thank you. And you know, and, and of course, Henry Aaron, just an incredible an incredible athlete, and it's a great story, and it's a guy who um, overcame a, a lot of obstacles uh, to be as successful as he was, as he was, given you know the times that that he was playing in, and um, you know, it just and I think it's great that he's maintained connections to Milwaukee all these years. Mike in Milwaukee, Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. Best athlete you ever saw? Uh, in high school, I went to high school in Syracuse, New York, and I was at a senior prom at the Hotel Syracuse. And the elevator door opens, and there's Wilt Chamberlain, Dave Gamby, and Guy Rogers. Okay. Wilt Chamberlain's neck was touching the ceiling. <laughs> we were all basketball players in high school, and we were just in awe on the elevator with these guys. So, you know, I, well, I never, I mean, thanks for the call. I never, I never saw Wilt Chamberlain in, in his prime. I mean, I... I remember Will Chamberlain when he was playing for the Lakers at the end of his career, and they, they won a couple championships. But I, I mean, I, I never saw, in, at least in person, I never saw Will Chamberlain play. You know, when he scores a hundred points and, and that type type of stuff. But I mean, you want to talk about a guy who was a transformative player? That's definitely the case there. Let's talk to Tony in McGuanago. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I got a couple. Uh, real quick, uh, Josh Hader 
Yeah. Oh. Meet him at, down in St. Louis. He signed my hat. Yeah. And what a nice, what a nice young man. What a great he guy. Is a very, very nice, cordial young man, and a great athlete, obviously. And I uh, hope he. I'd love to see him win a Cy Young. You know, as a reliever. Oh yeah. Not a very good chance, but I'd love to see that. Yeah. Um, but one I didn't actually meet in person, but got to watch on TV back in March Madness was a Tyler Hansbro for North Carolina. Uh, North, yep. North Carolina. Yeah. And uh, he had a great uh, college career. I, I'm sad to see he's not playing too much in NBA. Maybe it's because he's white and not. Well, I, you know, <laughs> doesn't have the basketball skills. But well, I don't know that it's. it's no, thanks. I don't I, see. It's not that. There's. I mean, I, I think you know he had a. I think Hansborough had a had a pretty good career. You know, and you know, I think he he as I recall, he played for um, Indiana and then. Uh, uh, I want to say Charlotte or something like that. No, I mean, I think he had a pretty darn good career. He had a, he had a good run. To your point about Josh Hader, Josh Hader, um, I, I get, I, I get a chance to interview these guys on opening day and, you know, we, we had Josh Hader this year and the year before that. I, I will tell you what, what a nice, young man and it's that's all i can say he kept calling he keeps calling me sir and i keep saying you don't have to say sir he can't help himself but he he's just a nice genuine guy i will say this and this is one of the things i've said about the brewers players i i I, there's not really a bad apple in the bunch i mean the the and i i've gotten a chance to interview most of them and look i'm not a sports guy and stuff like that but they're all they're all really really good guys i'm not sure i would have said that Years ago, but all the guys they've got on the team now, really, really good. Russell in Sussex. Russell, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Okay, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Well, I've got two of them, and uh, I really think a lot of A.J. Foyt and yeah. Dale Earnhardt. Okay. I think they're uh, two great uh, athletes as far as what their sports was, and uh, I had the privilege of uh, racing against both of them. And, uh, really? Really? Yeah, I really enjoyed it at uh, USAC races at uh, Milwaukee. Okay, with uh, with AJ, and uh, I got to admit that AJ did help me in my racing career. So, <laughs> oh, out- yeah. out- outstanding. Okay, is it fair? Do you, do you consider these these auto drivers to be athletes? I mean, some people would say, oh, they're not really athletes. All they do is sit and turn left all the time. Well, no, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Johnson just ran the uh, Boston Marathon. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how he did yet. I haven't found out, but. Uh, yeah, I do think they are true athletes. Yeah, well, I, I think so. No, given the ref, I agree too. Given the reflexes you need and the G forces you're dealing with, absolutely. I consider golfers to be athletes too. Some people say, "Oh no, they're they're not." No, if if you if uh, look, do I consider myself to be an athlete because I play golf? No, but you know, you look at these world class uh, golfers. Yeah, they're they're athletes. Beth in Franksville. Beth, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Okay, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. The best there is and ever will be, Roger Federer at the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. I saw him in 2011, and then again in 2014, where I was privileged enough to get his autograph. Cool. Are you? I, I assume if you're going there, you're. Are you a tennis fan? Or are you a tennis player? What's the connection? Just a fan. Okay. My husband, and I, uh, my husband Joe and I just really, really enjoy professional tennis, and Roger is the best. So we made the trek to Cincinnati. It was a little more affordable than going to a Grand Slam. Right. And the players are very accessible there. I was in the right place at the right time to get his autograph on uh, one of the cards they hand out. And it now hangs uh, in our office with uh, a nice frame and everything. You know, I have always... On my bucket list, I've always wanted to go to uh, the U.S. Open tennis. I've, I've never, I've never been, but I've, I've always wanted to go. You know, in September to New York, it's just, it's always looked like it would be a lot of fun. 
Uh, we agree, but uh, timing and, and everything has never yeah. worked out. Wimbledon also would be uh, yeah. an absolute <laughs> dream, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm happy with having uh, seen him play live twice and um, having his autograph. Very cool. Well, thanks. And, and, and tennis players are incredible athletes as well. Let's see, a couple of our texts. Eric Hyden at the 1980 Olympics and. Note says, yes, I was um, there. That's very cool. Uh, let's see. I used to live down the road from Greg Vaughn. He was an incredible player. Um, oh, all these sort of great choices. Uh, to me, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's difficult for me to try to assess one. I mean, seeing in person, I think Robin Yount was just an incredible ball player. I will tell you this. Christian Yelich reminds me a lot of, of Robin Yount, and I think that – when, when we, you know, if we were to do this topic 15 years from now, I think a lot of people might say Aaron Rodgers. I think a lot of people might say Giannis, and a lot of people might say Christian Yelich. These players are that good. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind. Please stick around.